1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. Coach Rob Taylor, Jr., or Coach Taylor, as many of you might know him from uh, Smarter Team Training. He's the founder of Smarter Team Training. What they do is they focus on the development of athletes, teams, performance, and I think um, uh, above most is education. So there's a lot that goes into all that. And I, I got super pumped. Um, Coach Taylor contacted me, shot me a message after he listened to uh, one of my podcasts, and. And uh, I was like, "Oh man, I got to get this guy on the line because <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him again." I just got off the. We just got done kind of pre chatting a little bit, but his podcast was one of the main reasons why I wanted to start mine. And 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 this podcast, I, I gotta quit saying mine. I don't own this thing. It's kind of just out there doing its own thing. But um, how he asked, how he asked towards people, the people he brought on, how he responded to questions, uh, the kind of questions that he brought up. It, I, I listened to. Probably ninety percent of his podcasts, and and I, I think uh, I owe a lot of what I'm doing to to that podcast and, and a couple others too. But I think um, Coach Taylor, I I appreciate the work that you guys have done. That you know the the ethics of it, the quality of what you guys do. I, I appreciate all of it. So thanks for joining the show.
0: I appreciate, it, man. Uh, again, bear with me. I'm, I'm fighting a little bit of a cough here, so I know it's unprofessional on a on a interview to cough, but I'm some of I, I might have <laughs> pushed the phone away, but. Uh, again, uh, like we talked about before, it's always an honor to be on the show. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing and giving back to the field, and uh, I know you've had some incredible interviews, so I'm hoping that other people are listening to take advantage of this opportunity.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, and don't worry about it. Look, if there's don't worry about the professionalism of this podcast or the show <laughs> because there's been plenty of times where I've, like, flubbed just saying Fitness Kinder podcast, so don't worry about it. A little cough is okay. It's kind of the season. So. Um. Coach, if, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got in the field, and then a little bit more about what you guys do over at uh, Smarter Team Train.
0: Yeah, I've been, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I, to, to tell you every little nook and cranny of what we've been, what, what I've done or what, you know, other people have achieved while I've been around them, uh, would probably take the entire half an hour. Uh, I, I've been very blessed to, to be around incredible people, and we'll, we'll start there. Um, from coaches to parents to, players and athletes to uh, to champions and people who are chasing championships. Uh, we eventually, I got into the uh, the private sector, and now I work with um, general population as well as athletes. Uh, we do have a business that is uh, grown from a, a basically an education and sports performance um, business model into a personal training model, and, and uh, we're also we're actually in the process of actually morphing it into a um, you know, growing it. And I think it, as, as a business, you got to keep adapting and growing and, um, to, to stay alive and stay relevant. So, uh, I was very fortunate to, re- re- actually went kind of opposite. Uh, early in my career, uh, I, I got a chance to work in the pros and then got a chance to work in college and then got a chance to work in, uh, the, the, the private sector. Um, and along the way, I've always been presenting and educating and, and those types of things. Uh, I think networking, uh, as a, as a young professional, is very important and and i think a lot of people talk about that all the time and i think early on in in your career i think networking becomes a little confusing i think it most people think about reaching out to others and reaching out to others but at some point networking has to become a situation where when someone needs something they know they know who to reach out to and they need to be able to call you and contact you when they know that you're good at x y and z or uh, maybe even just a sounding board for uh, opinions or you've been there done that kind of thing and uh, that's really kind of where, like you implied, started my uh, radio show <clears throat> or the, the podcast. You know, I, I got tired of traveling around all over the world to listen to people talk at, at clinics and conferences. And I go to a clinic or an event or conference. You could you could just and it, I'd really be game planning to listen to only one person. And I said, well, why can't I yeah. why can't I bring it to either one of my own events or at the time I got involved with podcasting before like it was even like a thing. Now I feel like a lot of people have them and, and they do they do them very well, including yours. And uh, I said, why don't I just get them on the phone? And why don't we reach out to these people? I actually had a young professional on the phone yesterday and he was asking for some advice about X, Y, and Z. And one of the last questions he asked was, uh, how many, you know, what's, what's your favorite book? Well, <clears throat> I, I hear that all the time with, you know, I think we got some guys that are doing incredible jobs writing you know, more and more books. My, my question to you two people is, how many authors have you reached out to? So you read the book, and you thought that that's all they knew, and you just stopped there. Well, what, what happens if they wrote the book, and then some of their thoughts have changed since the production of the book, but you haven't reached out right. to the author? to either compliment them for their time, for writing it, and taking the time to do that, uh, or to even learn – again, I always ask these two questions, which we, you and I talked about before the show got started. What do you know now that you wish you then, and what has worked for you? Yeah, And maybe through the process of writing the book, some of their thoughts and, and opinions have changed. That's why they write multiple versions of books. Um, right. So I, I think uh, throughout the career, I mean, we could talk about X's and O's, about what we do in the trenches. We could talk about head, and neck, and back training. <laughs> Excuse me. We could talk about culture. We you know, All those things that we talked about. But uh, I really think the field boils down to relationships. And uh, networking is just a small portion of that. Uh, sitting down and having a conversation. I don't think a lot of people anymore go and, and actually visit a place and drive out there and actually see how someone conducts their coaches a rep uh, or how they engage somebody or, or get them excited. Um, I think that's kind of a lost art as far as uh, – I don't want to blame everything on social media or whatever, but the connection with a human. Uh, I think sometimes there our, are our younger professionals or even some of our older guys that are just a little more maybe jaded in our field we got to get back to to realizing it's a human being that we're working with, and and we're really trying to help them achieve something. It's not really what we what we're doing or or our athlete or our championship. It's it, I haven't played defense in a long time, and I've been very blessed to see a lot of kids do a lot of really cool things. Um, and I, I took uh, I'm I'm happy and excited for them, but but I personally have never done them. I, I just I've never done that. I uh, I provided a path, and, and they walked down the path
1: a lot of interesting things there because i i've talked to other people and they they kind of share uh a similar value in, in terms of why people don't specifically in our in our industry why we don't meet up with each other more often unless you're part of the same team unless you're you know you're uh you' are maybe invited, or you pay a certain money a certain amount of money to go to an event to learn from a certain person and I think that and I think you're absolutely right there's definitely relationships but when you take those relationships that we're trying to build and you put them into a business model and then the business model gets bigger than the relationships that you're trying to build uh, I think that's where a lot of people see downfall because the business becomes bigger, and we think some people in the industry think that the only way to get bigger is to snuff other people out or maybe withhold information like there's some kind of secret that somebody else has that you can't share with somebody else. You know? it's almost like it's like a Coke, like Coke and Pepsi. I mean I don't know how many of those, you know, Coke guys call up the Pepsi guy and say, hey let's meet up and, and share secrets because they're in direct competition with each other. But when it comes down to it, like coaches and and trainers and people in our profession we should be able to open up and say, "Hey, you, know, you got you you deal great with these kind of athletes or these kind of people. You know, can you help me? Can you help me do the same thing?" It, it's some weird. It's some. I don't know if it has to do with ego or if it has to do with just our self-conscious in general that we just don't want to do that because it shows weakness. And if you're a coach or a trainer, you're not allowed to show weakness. You know, you're kind of like you're looked at as like somebody tougher than the, the normal person.
0: Yeah, I think our our field kind of has a little bit of that. It's a, an edge that we need to, to kind of separate ourselves or have people gravitate to us. <clears throat> I think it's also an edge that holds us back sometimes because we're not willing we're right. like to take a take a risk and, and learn from others. Uh, again, I I speak at a lot of different locations, and we'll, we'll use that, and I'll, I'll start that as a, a, a an island to grow from, I guess. Um, I'll go to. to Events and speak and I'll be as, as transparent as I can be as far as what we do, and then at the end, you know, someone will raise their hand and be like, "Well, how many people do you actually do this with?" And I'm like, "Every single one of them." Like you you asked before we started about neck training, we do that with every single client, whether they're a soccer mom or a, a world record holder. Uh, that's important to me, regardless of the sport or activity they're going to go play. It's it's part of our it's part of the the, the core values kind of thing of of our, of our programming. Uh, as well as grip and training the anterior shin and hips and low back and abs and quads and hamstrings and pecs and, and lats and shoulders and biceps and tries, and you, you kind of get the gist. I mean, if you're not being comprehensive, I think you're putting somebody at risk for an injury. And then our, our job is to get them comprehensively stronger, healthier, fitter, uh, as, and as well as the mind. Uh, I, I'd actually argue probably more of the, the question should be about uh, how do we address uh, the, pr- preparing somebody mentally uh, or helping them. Um, you know you you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to yourself so how do we help people create better conversations with themselves so that can lead to better actions and then those actions can lead to better outcomes Uh, I think that might be Hmm. more important than the reps and sets that you're using Uh, we can argue about uh, three sets of 10 or one set of failure or we do momentum based exercises and we're ground based or we're high intensity and no momentum and uh, that's great I mean everybody's had wins doing stuff right and I'm sure some people have had success doing things wrong and they would probably admit to that. Um, I think we need to openly have to have more conversations and I think these types of platforms are an outstanding way of doing it. When I'm at an event, uh, I'm actually looking forward to someone to come up and talk or uh, have a conversation and I don't even mind if they have a different approach. I think that sometimes, I think sometimes people have a little bit of that uh, hesitancy because if they do feel like they're going to do something different or maybe they have a question that they don't know quite yet how to ask. They don't know if they can really go up and, and approach that person and just have a conversation where they're not going to be judged. Uh, I don't judge. Right. I'm not I'm going to sit there. We talked about this before the show. I'm not going to have a situation where we're going to have a, a combative conversation. Uh, I, I'll – you know, I, I have no problem sitting up there and, and humbly saying I hope everybody in the room is smarter than me because then I'm in the right room because I can learn from others. Uh, and sometimes I speak in front of three, four, five, six hundred people. Um, and if I could pick up one, two, three things from the from the people in the audience, why aren't we all chipping in and helping out? It's not me dictating to everybody. It's me creating an environment where everyone can learn from one another. And I think that's really what separates uh, really good presenters from, from – or good educators, good coaches uh, from others. I mean, the same thing occurs on the field for us or on the court for us. I want everybody to contribute to what they're seeing so we can put each other in a better spot. Yeah, that's a, absolutely
1: 100%. And I think it – it goes a long way when you said, you know, there's. we definitely need a little bit of that. Uh, we need confidence as professionals to, to be able to do what we do and be able to relay information to the people that we work with and to other professionals. But uh, you're definitely right. Like there's, you know, there's there's already enough arrogance involved. So why, you know, why even bring that into it when uh, if we want to make this profession better, and I know I've harped on this a lot because I just, I, I love what I do and I, I love them when I get, I get to work with people, I get to wear, you know, gym clothes to work, and there, there's all these awesome benefits, and you get to, it, literally you're impacting somebody's life every time you step into work, and I don't know how many other people get to say that, and so I, I truly feel like, you know, giving to other professionals is one of the biggest ways that we can give back, and that kind of leads into something that you and I talked about a little bit before is this idea of culture and what culture means to certain places, whether you're in um, the college setting, or you're you're in a pro setting, you're in a, um, you know a, a little more of a, a setting maybe like you're you're working with ind- individuals and with athletes, so you're dealing with different types of coaches, different types of parents, and things like that. So, tell us a little bit of what what culture means to you and the guy that you know, people that you work with at Smarter Team Training, and then maybe uh, some tips about how people can. Can build their culture at their place.
0: Yeah, I, I'll tell you a little bit what I think culture is not. Uh, right off the bat, is I don't think it's about the music you choose. I don't think it's about the the chalk on the floor and it, or the equipment that's in the building or or those types of things. I think people they might that might be eye catchy or initially, um, you know, something that might get them interested, but I don't think that's necessarily a long term solution. I think culture, we, we talk about it in our field quite a bit in the athletic world and, and more and more in the business model if you go listen to corporate speakers and those types of things is, you know, what are you doing for culture, building culture, and, and then you ask them to give you three or four things that you can actually implement and, and hold people accountable to or or monitor as far as numerically, um, you know, seeing if it's working. <clears throat> and, and most people can't. They can't actually identify it. I mean, one, one simple thing, and, and we do it, uh, with our, a lot of times we do it with our interns, just to get people engaged in talking to the interns, <laughs> and we do it in a lot of our practices. Um, we, we'll actually count high fives, and and we'll reward uh, interns or or even sometimes staff or even the players at the practice. Whoever gets the most high fives, uh, maybe get a milkshake or just an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. You know, something that motivates them kind of thing. Uh, that's that's a, that's a actionable type scenario, and I think the more times we can have personal contact, personal touch, kind of uh, personal positive touches, plus personal uh, positive interactions. I think you really start to to connect more with people. I don't I don't think we do enough of that. Uh, there's there's interactions. I'm sure even at your gym where you walk in and out and you've, next, you've never even actually you know shook their hand or um, you know shoulder bumped or you know they'll, they'll, it, some of that stuff is just like humans do that and and we need some more of that yeah. uh, to make that part of what we're doing. I think we need to ask conversations that are not necessarily directed towards strength training. Uh, one thing we do as far as the culture of what we're doing is we call it a morning mindset message. So this morning, uh, before I got started with the day, I sent everybody that I'm going to see today uh, what we call a morning mindset message. And uh, sometimes it's about, you know, remember to hydrate. And sometimes it's a little more motivational or maybe, it's a, you know, I, I hate sending quotes that we find, uh, but some people enjoy that. So <clears throat> we kind of rotate through them. <coughs> Uh, but we're actually trying to, again, change the thought process of individuals so that it's not constantly a negative thought that they're actually putting in their head, and, and uh, hopefully we're getting them a chance to think about some positive things or positive solutions so we can lead to better actions and better outcomes. Uh, so my, my my question whenever I go to do consulting or go visit somewhere, and, and uh, you know, I ask them, what, what separates you from the competition down there? because. The competition is doing bench press and probably cone drills, and and they might be doing some type of stretching and those types of things. I and mean, hey, what are you what are you doing to separate yourselves from others? Um, if you can't answer that question outside of programming, I, I really think that you're struggling as far as the business goes. I, I just find that very very hard. Um, one of those you know one of the quotes that has stuck with me is if if you're juiceless, you're useless. And I don't mean you got to run around and jumping around and bang your chest and and uh, even the boys up at Northwestern who just won, uh, you know, they run around in, in the uh, in the cold without a, you know, a sweatshirt on. I mean, a part of me thinks that that's crazy. Uh, but on the flip side, I do things I'm sure that other people find crazy just by being energetic and and uh, having some energy to you. Again, you got to find out what, what works for you uh, when it comes to that. But I, I do think you need to have some, some enthusiasm. And, and there's too many people in our field that I think are wondering why they're not – Uh, finding more clients or quote-unquote being successful and if you hang around with them, they're they're more like an energy vampire than they are about an energy giver type scenario, uh, to use the John Gordon kind of terminology. Um, So I I think we need to consider or ask a better question, not necessarily that we need culture. Uh, We all all are aware of that. Uh, I think we need to start asking others, like what are you doing to develop culture in your program or to make culture quote-unquote a a part of your program, like, a, like almost like a mandated part. Like you have to come in and high-five each other. Uh, I'll tell you the sequence we do when we teach our interns. Uh, I want to make sure that they, they greet them at the door. So as soon as they see someone pulling up, everybody's up out of the office, everyone's on the floor, um, they're, they're high-fiving, they're, they're shaking their hand, they're, they're engaging with eye contact. Uh, one of the things I ask the interns after week one is if they can tell me two of the clients that came in during the week and their eye color. Most people don't look hard enough at people anymore, and they can't, they can't even tell you—they don't even make eye contact long enough to know what kind of, you know, eye color you have. Um, if you're looking that intently at their eyes, I'm sure you're picking up on valgus position or anterior pelvic tilt or, uh, you know, weak hmm. rotator cuff, or you know. If, but if you can't just pick and choose when you want to be aware when you're at work, you, you got to be aware of all things, in my opinion, and you got to try to really—you um, got to practice it. You, again, your actions lead to outcomes and you can't just turn on and off when you want to become a champion. you got to do it all day long. Um, so I think one of the questions that, that I like asking is, you know, what are you doing to build culture, and, and how do you do that? Uh, high five, handshake, I think it's a great thing. We always give them something, whether it's a water bottle or a, a, a towel, that type of thing. It's a, it's a second way for us to interact and connect. <clears throat> At some point when we start our conditioning stuff, in the beginning of it we high five. That's almost a guaranteed. And we normally have some type of creative type thing, an elbow bump, or maybe you touch feet instead, or, you know, just – uh, some of the guys will do something type like, of like funny dance with feet, you know. But you're, you're building a rapport with them, and it kind of gets their mind to stop thinking about work or school or sports um, or life in general, and hopefully start start thinking about being a little bit selfish when we come in training And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them being focused on themselves for the next 30, 45, an hour for a practice, 90 minutes kind of thing. It's it's fine to to work on yourself. That's why you're at practice or you're at a training session. Um, and then obviously as we go through working with. We'll, We'll, we'll do the concept of county high fives and, as just one of the ways we build culture and then uh at the end uh afterwards we ask everybody to actually send someone else's client uh a message that hey we saw you do x y and z and I thought you did a great job doing that because now you're also being motivated by someone that you're not working with but they saw you do something well
1: yep.
0: <laughs> that's a great motivation. One big thing I like asking uh, our clients or our athletes is who's the person you're doing something for like in you you know Sometimes it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife, sometimes it's the coach, sometimes it's the grandparents. Uh Generally, you're trying to get uh, acceptance from somebody else, and there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. And, and if you if you know – or if, as a coach, if you know who that person is, sometimes you can lean on that person to get some instant credibility, some um, – you can could, you could push a button a little bit. And, and I don't mean to push it like to keep pushing it constantly, but when somebody needs a little bit of an oomph, you can reach out to them and be like, hey, I'll just let you know. So uh, John or Jenny has been doing a great job, uh, X, Y, and Z, and I'd really like you to just reach out to them and say, man, that that you've noticed. And that that goes a long way when you start talking about, um, you know, the person that you're trying to influence or to get uh, um, acceptance or acknowledgement from and they actually do notice that you're working hard to get something or to achieve something. Uh, I think we do a lot of negative um, feedback from outside. I think we're much more comfortable doing that as a field, as a profession. Uh, as quote-unquote coaches, and I don't think we do a good job of um, rewarding what we want to see sometimes. Uh, I think sometimes if you start uh, acknowledging or provide, most people want attention. I mean, let's be honest with that. I mean, most people want attention. So if you you acknowledge and and reward what you want to see publicly and loudly, more than likely, most people will start doing what you're asking them to do. And then if you need to provide feedback or critique, you do it privately or one-on-one or or a little bit more of a uh, a down a downplay type scenario. So uh people don't notice that as much. Um when you when you bring I mean, again we, we work in football or right now I'm working in basketball and, and, and uh you know turnovers or whatever and you're like ah, you're, you're harping on turnovers all day of practice or making free throws. But you never encourage someone who's made a great pass or made a free throw. Well you wonder why you're getting what you're getting because again your actions and your and your your thoughts are always about the negative. So you're going to see that more often, and then I think the outcomes lead you know down that road. So um, I think it's a, I think culture is a great question that we need to ask how people are implementing it. I think we need to have a better plan for that, as well as a motivational plan and some of the things there to, to connect with individuals. And, and I think that's really what uh, when people start understanding the muscle physiology and, and, and anatomy, and, and uh, you know the, the kind of the basics of the X's and O's of, of strength and conditioning type stuff or personal training. I think when you start jumping into that psychology realm and that that culture realm, man, you you really start going from good to great in a hurry.
1: I I completely agree with everything you said. It's a great response. And I think um, it reminds me of that saying that I think I might have mentioned it before, and I can't remember who I heard it from, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's not just about getting the person in the door. And building that relationship. And then when you get them in the door, it's like, okay, good. Now on to the next person. It's like cultivating that relationship is part of a coach. I don't want to say coach's job. It's just part of what being a human is, especially in this type of industry. And I think when, I think when people think of a personal trainer or a fitness coach or a strength coach, whatever that is, they think of somebody who is maybe this kind of loud, boisterous, in your face. Or maybe almost like a cheerleader type aspect. They don't see, they don't see, they don't hear or think professional. They don't hear or think um, this is somebody who who's got my back necessarily. They just think it's somebody I go to. They yell at me. They make me do hard stuff, and then I'm gone. And I think a lot of a lot of places where I'm starting to see you're starting to shift and starting to change that that mindset, like you said. And um, and for instance, at Mission Five, where, where I do most of my training. We've got we, – we we tell each other when somebody else's client does something great. So, for instance, um, you know, if I overhear a trainer saying to their client, like, hey, you know, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, you look like you're down a couple pounds, or the client even say, yeah, man, I've lost like 30 pounds. Like, you take note of that, and on their way out, if you, if you get the chance to say something to them the next time you see them or on their way out the door, say, hey, man, you're looking good, or keep up the good work, or, hey, I saw you got that last pull-up great effort. Things like that, like little words like that, not only to your own client, the own person you're working with, but to the people around you. If they're within earshot, if you can reach out and touch them, why haven't you shaken their hand or looked them in the eye and said hi? It doesn't matter if they're paying you or not. I mean, if they're in your area, then they're your lifeblood, regardless of who's getting the check. And I think sometimes we might lose track of that and um and like i said there there are plenty of places that are starting to pop up now that are much more um customer oriented and there's a big difference between being customer service oriented and customer oriented person oriented you know customer service is like to to me when I think of that, I feel like it's everything that goes beyond uh what's what what should already be there. Like, of course, a place should have clean towels, of course, a place should have bottles of water, of course, the bathroom should be cleaned. That, those are basics. Like, that's not that's basic customer service, real customer service goes what's beyond that. You know, are you checking in on them when you know they had a rough day? Are you checking? um, You know, making, of course, you're making making sure their uh, their forms good. But did you remember that they they had an achy wrist like a couple of workouts ago? Hey, how's that wrist? You know, check into those kind of things. Like, dig deep. Why are they not feeling great that workout? You know, what's going on behind the scenes? I'm not saying you have to be a babysitter. Like, you don't have to constantly message them and things like that. But pay more attention to what's coming out, um, and and you'll be able to pour in like get a better investment into that person. Ultimately, it'll impact you. You know, long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll even
0: throw another one in there. Once you go, to, if, uh, I mean, I would argue, if meant, you know, the mentality that psychology is a big part of what we do, and obviously nutrition or sleep. Um I don't know how much I can impact someone's sleep other than giving some guidelines. I haven't figured that one out yet, but if, if someone's goal is weight loss or, or performance and muscle gain, you know, a lot of every, a lot of everybody's stuff is going to revolve around a large part of, of nutrition. Why don't you show up at their workplace, uh, and buy everybody lunch? And I don't mean you got to spend $10,000 doing it, uh, but you might you might walk in with two or three different uh, salads from a different place or a, a place that they like to eat. And, hey, I got three or four salads here. Anybody else want one? I got some extras. There's going to be some people – now, Now, not only does that help you grow as a business because now you're going to develop some contacts and, and people enjoy when you, you know, buy them lunch or buy them some food kind of thing, uh, but you're also showing that, hey, these are some healthy choices that I'd like to see you eat, you know. Um, that that one actually works out fairly well with us. We we do spend some time um, meeting people for lunch, or in my situation, sometimes with coaches uh, late night, uh, get a chance to take them out to get something to eat and, and try to find something that's uh, a smarter decision than pizza or sub.
1: Yeah, things like that
0: go a really long way. Uh, Coach, one one
1: thing that you and I talked about, and I'm a a, a big proponent of. Uh, I don't see a ton of it. Uh, in the private sector, unfortunately, but you did touch on uh, neck training earlier. So I did want to get your thoughts on uh, the why why it's important for everybody to do neck training, uh, and maybe your thoughts about why it's not done as often as it should be done in the the private sector. Sector.
0: I think, um, well, I'd, I'd even argue that the pro or the college, I mean, it's just not done being done enough. Uh if we – l I'll pick on some organizations here. Uh you you pick up the NSCA manual, which is supposed to be, you know, the, the gold standard of whatever somebody anointed it as as that. Uh what chapter does it have on uh nectrain? Hmm. What's uh the ACSM book? Uh NASM. Uh, I can go through all these acronyms. I mean I I have let, more letters behind my name than in my name. I have some of them that I've been you know, certifications that I've even really grandfathered into. Um I don't know of a book that actually talks about the benefits of strengthening your neck. Okay, so let's move separate from that. If someone does rupture a hamstring, can you suture that back on and, and maybe have a little bit of limp or, or you recover, but you can still live? Probably. Uh, if you blow a disc in your low back, um, can you fuse your spine or, or have a you know um, that fixed? Yeah. If you jack up your brain, do you get another one? Probably no. not. Probably but not. But our field doesn't want to look at it that way. I mean, someone blow, we, we put more emphasis on blowing an, an ACL than we do about training the head, neck, or back. <clears throat> so here's my next question. If we're important, if, if the kinetic chain is important from the ground up. So we talk about the mobility at the ankle and the stability at the knee and the mobility at the hip. And we go through all this because, you know, Mike Boyle and the, and the crew said you know, said this, and then everyone's like, yeah, we're on board. But somehow we stopped at, like, the collarbone. So if your cranium is out of whack, then your cervical spine has to be out of whack by because of the whole entire definition of the kinetic chain. Then your shoulders are out of whack, and therefore somehow point your lumbar spine, cervical spine, and your hips are out of the line. So now we're back down to an ACL injury or rolling your ankle. Huh. Right. If you can strength train your neck and, and don't hold me hold me accountable. Listen, if you go to trainyourneck.com, and that's not a plug, but I think I have like 24, 25 uh, referenced. Articles when someone's like, well, there's no research. That's a lie. That just means you're not you're you've not done your homework. When you when you have this that, that started that conversation with me. <clears throat> um, if you increase the strength of your neck by like one pound, you decrease the risk of a subconcussive force reaching your brain. Uh, excuse me, or a concussive force reaching your brain. I think it's by like five yeah. percent. What happens if you increase the strength of your neck by two pounds? And that research doesn't even say in which direction. So you have muscles that control the head on top of C1, C2. Then you have cervical spine muscles. Then you have upper back muscles that also contribute and connect to the cranium. <clears throat> Those are all plain. And we also talk about the muscles that support the jaw. Uh, how about this? It's, a lot of people have migraines as we get older. And if you want to talk about forward head posture or whatever else, I don't know if strength training changes posture. I, I don't know if I'm a big pro- proponent of that. It's like you got to do more rhomboid stuff to pull your shoulders back. Like I. I don't know if that – I don't think I've ever seen someone change their posture um, outside of extremes, but work with me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the migraine is coming from a weakness in a muscle that's associated with uh, the head, neck, or back that's just uncomfortable. It's trying to tell you something's not right. Maybe you have a flat-out weak neck. The funny part, is when you start training the neck, the migraines go away. So why aren't we doing that a little more? Um, I mean, there's research on ACL prevention, and that, so here's another – there you go, snippet of it. If, if you're listening to a presentation about ACL prevention uh, or someone's doing a quote-unquote ACL prevention program and they're not training the head, neck, and upper back, they haven't done complete research. Because someone who has a stronger neck right. in research – and, again, you can go through those lists of things. I don't remember which one it was in particular, but people who have stronger necks have less ACL issues. So if if you're only doing posterior chain work or Nordic hamstring curls because you only read, read one article or you I mean we joked about the one Instagram post that you know people post one thing and, and all of a sudden they're like at the craze for the next three months on on presentations or you know someone else reposting it to get to get their own idea why aren't, why aren't we looking at the neck is as, as the same way my question is or, or my I guess my answer my response to that is I, I'll go next weekend I speak at the uh, in, in Philly. Um, I'll sit in front of a room. I'll say two or three hundred. I, I get ballpark. Normally, that event has two or three hundred. I'll ask anybody before we start. Hey, how many neck exercises, head neck or you know, head neck or back jaw exercises do you know? Not even do you implement, but do you know? I might get shrugs. Someone might say a snatch. That's where we stop. <laughs> there's there's 52 muscles or up to 64 depending on how you talk between the collarbone and the cranium, and, and connect all that tissue. There's more muscles than range of motion than degrees of freedom, but we don't wow. have, we don't have any any idea of how to train like almost any one of those aspects because it's not commonly talked about. Or when it's talked about, there's some other thing going on next door, like you know I don't know agility training while you chase a ball around like a golden retriever with tones that has no trans right. you know, translation or transition over to um, competition or a game, and you're certainly not doing it in your boot camp because someone's gonna roll an ankle. Um right. But training the head and neck of her back might. And then someone's like, Well, you need equipment. Oh well, that's not true because I'll do it in body weight or I'll even use manual resistance. I, I will I will right. take someone with my hands or just their own body weight on you know in a, on, on the stage or in a classroom or in a gym. Um and that might be plenty for someone who's getting started. Just like a push up might be plenty for someone who's <clears throat> you know, hasn't done a bench press. Um right. Again, I don't know why there's a stigma in our field that uh, we can't. And, I, and Notice I never, I don't want to even talk about the idea like, well, if you have a stronger neck, you can prevent a concussion. That's also a lie because by definition, a concussive force, that force it, it supersedes the strength of the neck. My question to you, though, is yeah. if we get a stronger neck, can we push that threshold up higher so that if, a, a, if an impact does occur to the head – whether it's a jolt to the chest like in tackling or you hit your head on the ground or you trip over a curb or you get rear-ended in a car. I mean, this doesn't have to be athletes because I think we are all our athletes living active lives, hopefully. So we're putting putting ourselves out there for others to potentially contact us. Um, If we can strengthen that area and push that threshold up and increase it from, let's say, 45 pounds to get trauma to your brain to now 60 pounds, isn't that really injury prevention? that's really what we're talking about there is just trying to increase the threshold that our soft tissue can withstand stress. And if we can maintain the cranium in a better position and not allow the brain to touch the side of the skull and limit the amount of swelling that's going on, whether it's subconcussive or concussive, I think we're doing a a, a lot of good service for our athletes or our clients. Um, Right. So it's it's an important pillar of what we do in everything we do. I, I don't care if it's one of our NFL guys. I don't care if it's one of our Olympians. Uh, Paralympians and I'm not just doing that to name people who we work with, but all the way down to eleven and twelve year old uh basketball players that, that uh play for us. I mean I, I get a chance to work with uh statistically the highest ACL range um youth female girls of of teenage or, or, or pre teenage age um that play soccer and basketball. I work with a lot of them and there's a reason I picked that. Is because if there's a lot of injuries in that area, I want to put the best coaches working with that group, and I'm very fortunate that some people say that I'm pretty decent at what I do, and I want to help those types of kids, because I think we need to have better coaches around those people who are more predisposed to a higher risk of injury, and one of the things that's really important in our program, and if you ever come to watch our basketball practices or soccer practices, uh, we'll go through dynamic warm-up, we'll go through abs and low back, we'll do our neck training, then they'll go into some type of light contact, we like can basketball do uh, passing drills, and then they go into layups, in soccer we do passing drills into uh normally crosses, not necessarily the shooting, uh, but crosses. Uh, and then when they actually go into some type of skill development, you know, if you want to call it a period, um, but that's normal. So it is possible for people – actually, we have athletes that go to other places to work out or even to colleges, and they ask, hey, what do you do to train the head, and neck, or back? And the coaches don't know. It's normal for our kids to ask, what are we doing for the head, and neck, or back today? Or to know how much they do on neck flexion or protrusion or extension. Um, they understand what the the settings are when you're trying to train the the jaw. Um, most trainers or coaches don't even know where to begin. So I think we need to yeah. have a better conversation again, like we talked about in the beginning of the show. I think we need to be more receptive to just um, asking what is working for others. And I'm not saying I have it 100 percent right. I mean, if, again, if you go to TrainYourNeck.com, there's I think I have 54 exercises. It's definitely over 50 exercises that we use. From body weight to machine, progressive overload um, exercises, and I have progressions or regressions on there. So it's on your phone. So anyone on our field has access to what we specifically do. I'm, I'm very transparent when it comes to what we do with that area of the body. So to say that you don't know any longer, um, I really think it's a shame on you type scenario because you're not will, willing to actually uh, pursue more knowledge when it comes to that area of the body.
1: Don't you think it has something to do? And this is just—I'm just throwing it out there because I—I.
0: I, so, I've got—I got this class
1: of, of students that I actually meet in within within a, uh, in an hour, and we're going over the last four weeks. We we focus on one day a week. We do manual resistance exercises. So I'm kind of teaching there. It's a business for personal trainers class. So we do manual resistance one day a week the last four weeks, and so we're going to end on, um, on the neck. So we've got another two weeks before we hit the neck. But anyway. I'm talking I'm talking to to everybody about you know the importance of training the neck and and what it comes down to is I think when when you're trying to sell these kind of things, quote unquote sell or get somebody to buy into it, it's not a sexy thing. It's not like doing a manual resistance bicep curl. It's not like t- teaching someone how to do a tricep dip. You know, it's not a fun sexy exercise and I think Nowadays, that's that's what people look for. They look for these super unique. Um, and I'm, I'm and I'm, and I'm when I say people, I, I mean like coaches and trainers. Like they, we, some of us think that we need to not be at the best of our game with keeping everybody safe and doing what's what's effective and um, having some ethics about us when it comes to training our clients. But it's, it's about, hey, look how flashy I can be with this exercise. And when it comes down to it, like neck training and those kind of simple strength training techniques aren't that sexy, unfortunately. I know there's like a, a big sect of people that are starting to push back against, um, the main training theme of, of do something flashy new, which is awesome. But, you know, when it comes, like you said, like, I don't know how many other people, how many kids you can go to to, to talk about neck training. Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty unbelievable. But, I think this discussion that we're having and letting people know that this is something that needs to be brought up and is a topic that should be talked about more and more and more and it, it is for everybody. Not only sensible training, but sensible training of the neck. Um that it should be a part of everybody's program and, and it just makes sense. So I don't know. I don't know coach, if you if you I guess if you could try to find some way to Make it sexy, then maybe more people will
0: do it. <laughs> I I think it's uh I I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with the word sexy uh, from things because uh, people like winning championships and again, I'm very fortunate to have some different medals and different rings and different things in the office there that they can look at and then I can lean back on them and say you know this is what we did and to be honest with you every conversation will be will boil down to one simple quote be. Brave. Brilliant at the basics and to be honest with you, a lot of our program is is uh, is fairly consistently boring when people come to see us um, you know eighty percent of it is the same kind of scenario now we might use different pieces or yep. uh, you know injury you know, considerations we might have different things kind of going on, but as far as the the, right. the programming goes in general, it's one rep more than you did last time, and when you get to a, a, right. a rep range at x, y and z. Then we're going to move the weight up a little bit, and your referees, you just go down, and we'll move our weight, weight back up kind of scenario. Um, it's the people that are consistent, and I, and I will tell you that our our Olympians, our, our world record holders, uh, our kids that are really successful in the youth model, uh, even the college sector when I was there, and the pros, they are consistently training hard for 30 minutes twice a week. And I don't mean they're coming in and checking out the music and, and those types of things, but they're literally coming in being very mentally focused on executing a better rep each and every exercise. So if we don't do sets of 10, we do sets of one, and then we repeat it 10 times. And that leads to, essentially, yeah, yeah. let's call it 60, 75 seconds of, of tension. But if you can't do one rep well, how do you ever get to number two? Because right. then you're just counting really, really bad reps, and then that says something about you as a coach. What's sexy right. is when so- someone's got something really, really, really well And does it better than the person next to him? And you know what they call those people champions. If you want to do something extravagant or novel, or you know, wow, that was like really cool. That's like a circus act to me. Those people don't exactly. I don't. I don't see that going on at at a higher level of athletics, or even even in our business. Uh, People that are that are doing it well are doing it very consistently. And they're finding things that they can consider, you know, core values in their program or in their, in their business that they are doing better than their competition. Um, yep. Neck training, just like anything else in our culture or our, our environment, it is, is treated the exact same like bench pressing or getting under the bar with the elite form. And you've got to check the, the speeds on there. And some people find that checking because there's a video coming back. And that's a great tool for us as, as far as the, the sexy tool, if you want to call it that. Um, we have two racks and two five-way necks that sit right next to each other. If you want to bench or a squat, you got to do neck first. But it's that awesome. important. How many how many how many places around the country have the same number of racks as they do neck machines? There's there's not many. <laughs> there's not many. And, and I mean. I've I've seen lots of college weight rooms. I've seen lots of pro weight rooms. I mean, they're, <clears throat> when people come in and they're like, oh, we got to squat, deadlift, and everything else. And I'm like, well, again, wh- what's the priority in your program? Well, I I think the priority should be protecting someone's brain.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. Now, obviously, I was being very facetious when I was saying "sexy." I just, I think it's unfortunate that um, that's kind of how people perceive things now. But yeah, I, I um, don't know it right yeah,
0: there, so I was kind of working with that. So, but I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think sometimes <laughs> people think that if they have some type of that, the people who do that have never worked with the elite, in my opinion, or or they've done it very a little, very little, or maybe they haven't done it over a long period of time, and and if they have. They're, they're, feel free to, to call me or email me. I'd love to have a conversation with you because I just don't believe it. Um I think I think, I think it's Coach Mike Taylor at dot com is, is my direct email. I mean, you can reach me. You did it. You can hit me up on Instagram, whatever else. I don't. I mean, I'm not hard to get a hold of. Um So if you do want to have a conversation about it, fine. But the, the yeah. really, really, truly elite people that are they, that are incredible at what they're doing, or they're trying to uh, again decrease body fat and increase lean muscle mass, or just become <laughs> excuse me, overall healthier they're, they're going to a point of I, I prefer to term it momentary muscular success uh, than, than momentary muscular failure or fatigue. Momentary muscular success Ooh, I like that. and the next time they come in they're trying to do, it, they're trying to do one rep more and they, or they might be moving yep. up like, like a lot of people, like, how much do you move it up? Some of the kids we've had for 3, 4, 5 years in our program, they might only move up a hamstring curl by like a quarter of a pound
1: Right, a quarter right, of a pound, right.
0: but, but but over over the course of four or five years, they've gone up sixty pounds. So right. initially, they're not going to keep making those those big jumps. The same, you know, not going to jump up ten pounds forever. Eventually, those reps are going to become really, really, really hard, and we're going to go. Uh, just a quarter. I've met you know magnets, you know uh, plate mates that we we put up on the machines or on the uh, the squat bar or whatever else that we have plates designed that are just literally little, little, little adjustments. Um to help the kids get to you know to to achieve a success. Yeah. No, that's
1: that's awesome because I, I think um the the more long term a person trains, I think they find that you you don't always constantly you don't go up by five or ten pounds every time you step in the gym. it just doesn't no. happen. So no, that's true. But, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that progress can't be made. And that progress isn't being made each and every workout as long as the workout is of some of as, a, as quality as you could possibly make it. And like you said, there has to be consistency involved. The bigger problem is when, you know, obviously injury starts to happen when people get inconsistent, they start getting sloppy, they don't adjust their weight, they
0: don't track those kind of things. Our society has become a microwave approach, and unfortunately, yeah. we live in a crock pot industry. You've got to invest time, yeah. energy, sweat, uh, maybe a little blood and tears. I'm, I'm being facetious again there too as well. Um, but you've yeah. got to invest <laughs> in you consistently and you've got to be patient. Yep. And I think we need to acknowledge then as coaches or trainers or again the the, uh, the accountability partner, the, the person that we're trying to influence, progress, slow or fast, is still progress. When we right. reach, progress exactly. is When we really need to question what we're doing. But as long as you're moving forward in a very little, you know, not necessarily linear kind of scenario, because that necessarily isn't true either. So when people do these massive programming, like, you know, let's do an eight-week programming model. Like, no one's ever actually seen any of those things through. Whether you want to talk about complicated right. or linear or nonlinear, no one's ever seen those through. Uh, there's injuries. There's sleep. There's fatigue. Oh, I had to adjust the weight because I felt good that day. Well, now you're not doing the same program. Like, no one's ever done right. this. But we spend tons of time teaching kids to do that. And and it just baffles me uh, why we do that. And then you throw athletics and and academics and stress and everything else on top of that. It's just – anyways, I'm not going to go down that road. Um, No, no, no. That's a a topic for another another conversation. Yeah, I mean, I'd have no problem going down and and giving you what has worked for us on that scenario too, but I think you need to make things simple. I think you need to make things um, quantifiable from a standpoint of, hey, you got seven last time. I know you can do seven. We got to get at least eight. And now they have a goal in mind, yeah. which does help them. And then we can acknowledge success. When they get up, man, you got eight. Or you got nine. Or you got 10. Yo, the weight's going to go up next time. I I'm looking forward to seeing how far you can go in the next two weeks. Um, you know, that you're giving people hope or, or things to look for, outcomes uh, that they need to do, action. I'll, I'll do this. I know we're getting close on time, this kind of thing, but I'll do this. What happens if we change the mindset of the people we work with? From the workout changes your life to yeah. your life ultimately dictates the workout. Because I don't look at training well, the way we do it uh, from a situation like, oh, if you come in, you're going to get stronger. No, I'm going to actually evaluate you between the 48 and 72 hours that I have not seen you on how well you treated your body. Because if you hydrated well, if you slept well, if you ate well, if you removed negative stress, you will naturally be stronger the next time you come in and see me. Right. So we can put more yep. load, potentially in less time, on your body, and I can get you out of the gym faster. But if you don't treat your body well, you don't treat your mind well, you don't treat your, your psyche well, it's just not going to get to where you're trying to go. The, the 35, so you know, 30, 45, or an hour with me, I really don't know if that impacts the lives uh, as much as we claim it does. But certainly the two right. or forty-seven hours when they're away from us impacts the 30, yes. 45, or an hour that they're with us. So we got to put more emphasis yeah. on making good choices outside of training uh, with us, and th- and that's how you start seeing results. I, I really, I really do believe that. I, I test people on how they treat their body every two to three days, and that's how we approach our training. Yeah. We don't train to get stronger. I'm evaluating if you're treating your body well. If you're treating your body well. You will get the the goals and the results that you want. Essentially, actions lead to outcomes.
1: Yeah, that's those. That's a that's a great mic drop situation right there, and I think a really good one to end the podcast. But I I couldn't I couldn't agree more, Coach. Um, if people have questions, comments, concerns, where's the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah.
0: Well, they can send their concerns to you, but if they have any comments or questions <laughs> that they want to send to me. Uh, they can do it on email uh <laughs> coach Taylor at smarter Team training dot com if they want to go to okay. your neck dot com that's one part of our website that a lot of people visit uh training dot com is our main website uh I communicate a lot of stuff on Instagram at this point. I think everybody's doing that now so at smarter team training is our uh instagram and, and I do respond to d m s off of that um I, i'm I have no problem having a dialogue on email or a dialogue on, on Instagram um, and then eventually getting on the phone with somebody. I, I feel like I'm very approachable when it comes to that when I when I speak or when we host events. Uh, if people want to check that stuff out, they can go to sttevents.com. Uh, our next conference next year is in July. Um, we have one coming up in February and March as well around the, the region here on the East Coast. Uh, but the one that we host at our facility that uh, is, is, a, is awesome is, uh, is, in, is in, in next July. So, uh, again, I, I appreciate the opportunity Eric uh, I, I commend you for uh, getting back to the field and inspiring greatness in those around you and uh it's cool to see what you're doing with us, man.
1: The same thing too, and
0: I appreciate it and keep keep putting some good work and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform. At Eric Feigl or email FCP at ericfeigl.com.